Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right. How many grateful people do we have in the room? Anybody? Come on. That's right. I hope that you are thankful. I need a few things that we're thankful for. I always like to get a little feedback when we have a question like this. Anybody? What are you thankful for? Tell me. What? Family? Coffee. We're going to talk about idols today. I'm sorry. I didn't hear. What did you guys say? You're thankful for thankfulness? Oh, God's faithfulness. Amen to that. Anybody else? Community? Peace. God's grace. Church merch. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. There's a lot of things, right? I'm thankful for you. You know, I really mean it, and uh, I'm thankful for, you know, what God is doing in this place. And I, there's, a, there's a quote by Andy Stanley, one of my favorites. It says, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. And I think about that all the time. Like, in other words, if you ne- never tell a person you're thankful for them, eventually you're going to think you're not thankful for them. And I think all the time about how we need to express our gratitude to not only the people in our life, but of course to the Lord. And so when we come into this place, like that's what we're doing. We're saying thank you, God, for how good you are and how much grace and love and faithfulness and peace and all these things that he provides for us in life. And so we want to say back to God, of course, right? Like, Lord, we are grateful for you. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer of gratitude. God, we just pray that as we step into today and even into this week, that God, there would be, that you would just fill us up, that there'd be like a a, a filling of gratitude and thankfulness in us, that it would be overflowing out of us, not just for you, but for for the people around us and the blessings that you've put in our life. Lord, we know things aren't perfect, but God, we still can stand grateful and we can be grateful for who you are, what you do. And Lord, we just pray now that as you move today, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would just illuminate the things that you want to illuminate in our lives. May we have eyes to see, ears to hear. May we, may we see the things you want to see about not only our own lives, but the world around us, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, you know, um, on the subject of being thankful, I really am, and I think about this often, I really am thankful for the idea, if you will, of the church. Uh, because it was God's idea, right, that he created the church that we have a place that we come and that we gather. And, and, I, and I just am like super grateful for the church. Anybody with me on that? Like I'm grateful for the church in the sense of like, I think a lot of times we give ourselves pats on the back when we show up, but I really think it's the other way. Like it's an honor that we get to come here and that God shows up for us, that God shows up and he's created a place for us to come together. And so what an honor it is. And I'm just thankful for that. And today we are in week 11 of our series called Revival Hope. Everyone say Revival Hope. And each week we've been settling into one of the great Old Testament stories about revival because God has been doing a great work and a deep work of revival, not just in recent history, but really it's been the story that he's been unfolding for all time. Like he is going to revive us, renew us, bring us back to who he originally intended us to be. And so we see these stories in the scriptures of people being revived, cities being revived, nations being revived. And now we stand and sit in hope in Christ and in the Holy Spirit to pour out his spirit again, to revive his people, to revive his church, to renew us, that we may see a great work in our days. Amen. That's why we say revival hope. 
So uh, today we're going to be in a story in Joshua chapter 2 about a woman named Rahab who faced a tremendous moment where she had to exercise a courageous faith in God in a moment when she really didn't even know much about God. She had only just heard stories about God. So this theme of courage, though, it's like all throughout the Bible, isn't it? And how many of you know that any life of faith, there's going to be plenty of moments when courage is required? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yet I would say that courage would not be at the top of a list of words that people would use to describe most Christians today, right? We can think of a lot of other words, some not so good words, some maybe a few good words in there. But courage is usually not at the list of like, oh, yeah, I can't believe how courageous that person is. God is all over that person, right? Unfortunately, what happens for many of us is we believe in the power of God, but when it's time to courageously step into that power, we typically shrink. We step back and shrink, don't we? It's a difficult admission about ourselves. We have so much room to grow in this category of courageous faith. There was a story I read a few years ago in one of Christine, Christine Kane's books about a church in North Carolina who was distraught because this was years ago, a pornography store had opened right next to them, right next door to them. They didn't know what to do. They were messed up, as you can imagine, and they began praying that the store would go out of business. And apparently, a week after they started praying, lightning struck the store and burned it down. <laughs> and when the store owner, the store owner then took the church to court and blamed them for this happening because they were actively praying that this would, something like this would happen. The church denied, of course, any responsibility, said it's just, it's just a it's just weather. The weather did it. Like, we didn't do it. The store owner said, yes, you did. You were praying for God, to God, for me to go out of business, and this is what he did. The church said, no, this was not our responsibility, purely coincidental. We didn't do anything. Then this was what the judge said in response. He says, I have a dilemma. It seems that the proprietor of a pornography shop believes in the power of prayer and a church who apparently does not. <laughs> When courage, is, when courage is required, we shrink, right? In my quiet time earlier this week, I read this amazing passage out of, chap, uh, out of Hebrews chapter 10. It said this, it talks about this idea. It says that you need to persevere. Everyone say persevere. persevere. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, uh, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Talking about Jesus. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And he says this, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So there's this thought, right, to persevere, to have courage, to never shrink back in our faith. We all have moments of courageous faith, and then we shrink back. <laughs> and we are standing today and this is why I say I'm so thankful for the church. We are standing today on the shoulders of thousands, if not millions, of Christ followers who have went before us, who have displayed tremendous amounts of courage, have they not? In the face of persecution, facing all sorts of threats, death, persecution of, of, of rejection, humiliation. And yet, because of that, we get to sit here today because there have been people who've gone before us with a courageous 
faith and didn't shrink back. I know many of you have probably heard the phrase, burn the ships. Anybody heard this? Everyone say, burn the ships. If you have a good memory from your sophomore history class, you'll remember where this comes from. <laughs> this comes from 1519 Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez, who set sail for the New World with 11 ships and about 700 people. He eventually lands on the shores of what is modern-day Mexico, and his purpose in this expedition was, of course, to establish a settlement in the New World. And he was determined to do this, and so once he landed in the shores of Mexico, Cortez commands the ships to be burned. Right? This was an all-or-nothing expedition. No turning back. It was succeed or die trying, right? Now, we know the stories of the conquistadors uh, are not necessarily worthy of being celebrated. However, the move to burn the ships was undeniably this, uh, this decision of destiny, wasn't it? Like, I imagine his crew watching the ships burn were like, okay, I guess we're staying here. <laughs> There's no turning back. There's no retreats. Retreating is not an option. There's no plan E, plan B. There is only a plan A. And our story today in Joshua 2 is very much a burn the ships moment. So once again, we are talking about the courageous faith of a woman named Rahab. Now, she is not an Israelite. She is not one of, if you will, God's people at the time. She is a woman who lives in the city of Jericho, which were the enemies of God's people at the time because they were living in the land that God had promised them. And so the Israelites are about to go to war, if you will, with them, because they are in the land that God has promised. So we'll pick it up, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So Joshua's the commander of God's uh, people, his army, and he, he wants to get a lay of the land before they go invade, right? So he sends some spies in. Who knew espionage is so old, right? So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. So up until this moment where God's about to change Rahab's life, she had been a prostitute. She had a past. I wonder how many of us have a past. We all have a past, right? She had a past. And then it says this. The king, of, uh, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Now, I just have to comment, these were not the greatest spies, apparently. <laughs> I mean, they got made immediately. Everybody's like, hey, hey, there's some spies. I think they're going into Rahab's house. I mean, it's like, come on, guys, like, wear a better disguise or something. But so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to see you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. How many times can we say spy, right? But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them, She's, as she chuckles under her breath. But she had taken them up onto the roof, hidden them under the stalks of flax and she had, that she had laid on the roof. So... Did you catch this? Rahab lies. This little moment begs a question. Is it okay to lie in certain circumstances? I literally was thinking this as I was preparing this and as I was thinking about this story and I'm reading it. Is it okay to lie if you're protecting someone's feelings? Right? You have a terrible meal and someone says, how was it? I just cooked it, slaved all day for you. What do you say? It was wonderful. It was great. 
and if I mean, what I mean by the word great is you're the worst cook in the entire planet, right? Like, no, we wonder, like, is it okay to lie? And so Rahab lies. It's worth noting that nothing, I know this is simple, but it's worth noting that nothing in the Bible commends her lying. There isn't a verse that says Rahab's quick ability to make up a white lie made her righteous in the sight of the Lord. There's nothing that says, and the Holy Spirit filled her up with lies. Like, nothing like that says that. The, the, there's no question that, that, that God didn't need her lies to do what he wanted to do, right? However, the narrative of the Bible teaches us something really important in this little bitty sliver is that God doesn't use lies, but he uses liars. He uses people, right? He will use imperfect people and turn their imperfections on their head in order to work out his perfect plan. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. So God is about to use a lying prostitute who's across enemy lines, which I think is an important acknowledgement at the beginning of the story. We have to know who God has chosen and who he's using. He's using someone that is an unexpected person to be used. God is once again using one of the most least likely people. Verse 7. Rahab lies, and then verse 7. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Now, this is like a, we've got to pause here, because this is a surprising statement. Why would an enemy who does not worship Yahweh... Why would they say, I know that the Lord has given you this land? Once again, we have faith coming from someone who is some of the most unexpected, not only people and places, which has been a recurring theme in the stories we've been living lately. My suggestion, my thought is, why this keeps happening is God is always alive in people and places that we have assigned as absent and dead. So perhaps we should be ready for God to spring up in the most unexpected places in our life and in the most unexpected people. If we really want to see revival, it maybe comes alive in the unexpected places. So perhaps we should see, be praying, Lord, I pray you just show up in the places and in the people that are the unexpected. Are you all with me? She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt or, and what you did at Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. <laughs> Who's saying this? For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So the testimony of God melts the enemy. Think about this. She's saying, you haven't even picked up a weapon, but the story of your God precedes you, and it has already done the work to defeat us. This is amazing. This is why we tell stories here. This is why we say to you, tell the story of what God has done in your life because it is your weapon against the enemy. We have to keep telling stories even if it happened five years ago or even if it happened 20 years ago. 
Tell others what God has done. Because listen, in this story, it had been over 40 years since the moment of the Red Sea had happened whenever Rahab is talking about it. There is a whole people group being radically shaped by a story that happened decades ago. And not only elevates the faith of those who hear, which is happening to Rahab, but it is destroying the work of the enemy. Right? It crushes the schemes of the enemy. And I just want to say a word on this because I feel like this is so important for us to get. Listen, your story isn't old or outdated or overdone. Our culture only cares about the latest and greatest, right? We act like 10 days ago was 10 years ago. A song that came out six months ago, my kids say, oh man, that's old. A book that came out last year is outdated. Shoot, we described last summer, this last summer, just a few months ago, as forever ago. Listen, the story of God healing you four years ago, tell it, it's relevant, it's alive, it's active, God's power is in it, he wants you to keep telling that story. The story of God saving you from the pit 20 years ago, tell that story over and over again. The story of God freeing you from that addiction, even though you've been in recovery for 12 years, keep telling that story. People need to hear it because it's the power of God in your life. The story of God healing your marriage right when it needed healing. The story of God giving you the money that you didn't know where it's going to come from, but God provided it anyway. The story of God answering that prayer. What I'm saying is if it, whenever we think sometimes, well, that doesn't, that didn't just happen. I'm telling you, it just happened. It just happened. Keep telling that story. The enemy wants you to quit telling it. The enemy says, oh, that was forever ago. That was 10 years ago. That was 20 years. No, it just happened. Tell it. God uses testimony. Stories elevate the faith of those who hear and crush the schemes of the enemy in his tracks. I hope this isn't preachy or vibrato here, but I do pray that hell shudders because of the stories we tell of what God has done yesterday, today, and forevermore. Are you all with me? Come on. A little golf clap was cute. (laughs) Verse number 12. Let's keep going. I'm just kidding. That was awesome. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. So she's like, hey, listen, I'm going to help you out. You help me out. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land, which I love because they're already like, dude, it's done. Once it happens, you know, we'll take care of you. Many of you know what happens to Jericho. If you've never read the story, I'd suggest you go read it. Just keep reading in Joshua. But Jericho, of course, uh, well, the, the spies, they go back to Joshua. They tell, tell him about Rahab. They agree to save her. Then God gives some specific instructions. This is just the summary of what happens about how they need to march around the city of Jericho for seven days. And then at the exact moment when God said he would defeat them, the walls of Jericho come down. Now, this is a remarkable story. The walls of Jericho are 50 feet tall. In the ancient world, this is like walking up to skyscrapers, right? It is overwhelming, this fortified compound of the city of Jericho. And it says in the word, when, when they had completed what God had called them to do, the city walls fell down and the Israelites completely defeat the people of Jericho. And I'm, as I'm reading this story of Rahab, I didn't read this verse, 
But one of the most amazing images that come to mind are in his saving of Rahab. It says in verse 15 that she let the spies out through a window of her house that was part of the city wall. Her house was part of the walls of Jericho. I don't know if this is true because it's not in the Bible, but I just like to imagine things at times. And I imagine like all the walls falling except this one little sliver of the wall where Rahab's house is. And it just stays standing because that's where Rahab lives. And I think, man, God rescuing her in, in the middle of all that, rescuing this one family in the middle of all that chaos Man, the specificity of God and his care for us. It's so specific. It's so for you. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 24, it's recorded that she lives. So her life just keeps getting better. He rescues her. It's recorded that she lived among the Israelites after this for the rest of her life. She She became one of them. She's embraced. She's accepted. Now, Rahab, once again, she's not an Israelite, yet she had this sort of burn the ship's moment, did she not? It was presented to her, a moment where she could remain loyal to her old life and her past, and she could turn these spies in, or she could step in with some courageous faith. And I'm sure she thought, man, this is risking everything. I'm putting my life on the line, the lives of everybody in my family, by placing her faith in a God that she'd only heard about. In this moment, everything changes for her. It sort of echoes the words of Paul later in the New Testament when he says this, what is more, this is from Philippians 3, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This is Rahab's life, is it not? Nothing could compete. Everything was worth losing for the sake of the hope she had in God, who she said, God is God. She may have had a questionable past, but a divine, divine decision became before her. And she didn't shrink back. And instead, she went all in towards the person that God was calling her to become. And I really think that that little line is important for us. It's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to have the kind of courageous faith to go all in to the person that God is calling you to become. There was a group of missionaries uh, in the 1800s who became known as the one-way missionaries, meaning these missionaries would purchase a one-way ticket on a ship bound to the mission field without a return ticket. They had no intent to return home. And instead of suitcases, they would pack their few earthly belongings they had, they'd pack them in coffins, and they would sail off to the mission field. And as they sailed out of port, of course, they waved goodbye, not just to say see you later, but goodbye to their old way of life and embracing a whole new way of life, right? One of these missionaries was a guy named A.W. Milne, and he set sail uh, to some small islands in the South Pacific, knowing full well that every missionary that had gone before him who had lived there had been killed by the inhabitants of those islands, these headhunters that lived there. But Milne decided to go anyway. He packed his coffin, and he gets there, and he actually for 35 years, lives among this tribe, and they fell in love with him. And when he died, the tribe actually buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed an epitaph that said, 
when he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. And you hear stories like that, right? And you're like, mm, when did we as followers of Jesus start believing that God wants to send us to safe places and to do easy things? Mm. Rahab's courage, it could be overlooked because it's such an old story, but there's power in what just happened. I mean, this just happened. Rahab's story. It's a story of God's power. You know, courageous faith, it's one of the values as, as a church. Uh, we say it this way. I'll put it on screen. But courageous faith, right? We, we say it this way around here. We are high faith. God can do anything, people. So we courageously trust God for provision, breakthrough, healing, and miracles. Anyone agree with that? I'm going to say it again. We are high faith. God can do anything, people. So we courageously trust God for provision, breakthrough, healing, and miracles. Rahab's story wasn't just about one incredible moment. Her courageous faith led to many more moments. We find out more about Rahab's life and other scriptures that just blow my mind. In 1 Chronicles 2, we learn that Rahab married a man named Salmon. It was spelled salmon like the fish, but pronounced salmon like it's spelled. <laughs> this man, Salmon, is a prince in Israel. So the prostitute marries a prince. This is like a fairy tale. She's done this incredibly courageous act for God. She's not only accepted with this group of people, but now she is esteemed. And just when you're thinking the story can't get any better, it does. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, all the way in the New Testament, we find one of those long lists of names that most of us skip by when we're reading the Bible. You're like, oh, there's a bunch of names. I don't think that matters. It matters. It's the genealogy list to kind of tell the story of God's people. And in Matthew 1, it's a really, really important one. Matthew actually did a lot of work to make sure this was accurate. And this is what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this is the line, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read these. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Haran, or Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Midnadab. Midnadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And if you keep reading all the way down to verse 17, you'll see this list that takes you to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Four women are mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I want you to think about this. God says, I'm going to use Rahab as a person who is not an Israelite who's a prostitute, I'm going to use her. Not only can I forgive her, not only can I love her, not only can I make her a child of God, but I can do something more than that because God can always do more. He's not done just forgiving you. He's not done just saying, I'm going to set you up and put you on your feet. He's not done just saying, hey, I've given you a life that you're grateful for. He can always do more. God says, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new lineage. 
this is the good news of the gospel in the book of Joshua all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Whenever there is a book that we read that's very hard to understand because there's so much war and violence. And we're like, God, what is going on in all this? And there is the goodness of the good news right there in the middle of it in the story of Rahab. And how he revives people, sets people up, sets people free. This is what Jesus does. He radically transforms people and invites them into something amazing. And we just can't forget, though, that this call of Jesus on our life is real and significant. It's truly a call to die to self, to pack the coffin. It's a call to burn the ships, to decide you will not retreat, to shrink back to the old way of life. That is done. Enough of this whole I'll do faith my own way or in my spare time. That's not allowed, right? No more Jesus on my terms or on my schedule. No, we don't honor ourselves for showing up. We honor God for showing up. That's what we do. We count everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen? Amen. Mm. God is not looking for people who buy into the gospel. He is looking for people who sell out to it. I think Mark Batterson has said that, and I've just taken it. Keep saying it. The gospel costs nothing but demands everything. It's an all or nothing deal. Think about it. It's one thing to invest in something. It's another thing to sell out to it, isn't it? We can invest in a lot of things. In fact, financially speaking, it's pretty smart to diversify is what I hear. Trying to figure that out. But it's an incredibly courageous thing to go all in and invest into one thing. My guess is that most of you would agree. We got to sell out to the gospel. Man, if I had church merch out in the lobby that said, I'm a sellout on a t-shirt, you'd buy it. Not one person laughed. In fact, just look at the person next to you and say, be a sellout. Actually prophesy over them and say, you're a sellout. And it's not even mean. How many of you know that Jesus, or people always want Jesus plus? Not Disney plus, I'm talking about Jesus plus. People want Jesus plus, always have, always will. Right? Jesus plus the things of this world, please. I'll take that. Uh, Jesus plus doing it my way. Jesus plus me being the boss. Jesus plus greed and consumer with them, please. Jesus plus just taking it easy whenever I want to. Jesus plus never anything hard. I've told the story of God calling us to plant this church, you know, a lot of times over the years. And, and like I said, the story can feel a bit old to me, a bit overdone. But I was reminded this week that it's still alive and active. It just happened. And it's the power of God. And a small part of that story, a very small part uh, that feels powerful to Christy and I is, is that we never, we never wanted to plant a church, never thought we would or could. We used to say that over and over again. People would say, hey, you ever thought about planting? Oh, no, we'd never do that. Never. I mean, who wants to plant a church? Sounds terrible. It's kind of what I thought. I was like, other people can do that. Other sellouts can do that. Other crazy people, like, we're not them. We're not that, part, that person. Listen, today, I just want to say this without really saying it in any other way than it's just the power of God uh, in our life. But I would say our life is made up now of a lot of nevers. 
you know, it would never happen. We'd never do it, never want it. We could never imagine it. And I believe this church is made up of people who have stories of God doing things you never saw coming, doing things you never imagined. And, and I'm here to tell you that God wants to do things in your life that you would never, ever see coming. Maybe you say, I would never see it coming because it seems too faithful. It seems too courageous. It seems too sellout. It seems too, like God would use someone else to do that, never me. But I just want you to know that's just, this is what God does. The story of Rahab is in the Bible for this very reason, to tell you that God will use anybody with any past, with all the wrong makings of a person that he's going to put in line of the king of kings. God can revive and restore anything. God is faithful to those who are faithful. Let me ask you a question. It's a big one. I'll put it on screen. But what does it mean for you to sell out to the gospel instead of buy into it? What does it mean for you to sell out to the gospel instead of buy into it? I've been saying divine decisions and moments are coming to people over the course of this whole series. I just have believed that from the beginning. God, God is calling some of us to step into divine moments and decisions. And some of these are going to be burn the ship moments. moments. And I think this question is a fair question for you to pray about, to reflect on, to get serious about. And maybe I can just ask it this way. Are you facing a moment of courageous faith right now? Some of you have big decisions coming up. Some of you have huge opportunities that you're wrestling through. Some of you have a significant spiritual battle going on that you're not quite sure which way to turn. I know in a room of this many people that there are decisions hanging over our heads, worries and concerns. There are things we are wrestling through with God. And I would just say this, is this a moment for you to sell out? <laughs> is this a burn the ships type thing? Only God, only Jesus from this point forward. Because how many times do we have to say it? Nothing else Nothing else can help. It's only him. Nothing else, only God can save you. Only Jesus can set you free. Only God can heal you. Only the Holy Spirit can fill you with joy. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want any of that? It comes from one place. The Holy Spirit. That's it. Everything else falls short. Is this a moment for you? I was just praying this morning, Lord, do what only you can do. Move in the unexpected places today. Move in the unexpected people, the people who aren't expecting anything out of today or anything out of their life more than what they already have. Do something in them. It's a courageous faith type of moment. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you just bow your heads. You need to sit for a moment. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Would you speak right now? Will you guide us? We pray your strength, we pray your courage will rise up in us. Lord, show us what it means to sell out to you. Show us what it means to not be a person who lives with Jesus plus mentality. But would we be a Jesus-only person? 
consider right now. Lord, what are you saying to me? We invite the ministry of Jesus into this place for him to do what only he can do. Holy Spirit, would you move right now? If you have decisions, if you have moments, if you have battles that you're going through, I think today is a day in which you say, Lord, I just, I'll go all in. I just need, I, I, I trust in you. God is God. I don't want to dismiss today without giving, you know, the really true <laughs> opportunity for someone to say, you know, I want to, I want to just surrender to Jesus. The, the, the ultimate burn the ships, go all in, sell out moment is to say, I surrender my life to Jesus. I, no other gods, no other endeavor uh, will go before him anymore. I will follow Jesus the rest of my life. If that's where you're at and you're like, you know what, I've been wrestling with that, I've been thinking about that, even in this word, I'm hearing like I have not sold out to Jesus, then I just wanna say to you right now, you can do it. And it's a, it's a decision, a divine decision put before you in which you say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. In fact, I just wanna lead you in that prayer. If you wanna, if you wanna do this right now, just pray this. Repeat what I say. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. All over the room, just pray that prayer. If this is the moment for you to say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Just say that to him one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. And a couple more things I want you to pray. We need to ask him for forgiveness. So just say, forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my sin. The Bible says that he will wipe away every sin when we confess our need for him. We confess we need his forgiveness. So just say, forgive me of my sin, God. So if you need to play catch up, it's Jesus, I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And then one last declaration, it's a commitment to him. And say, I will live for you for the rest of my life. I will live for you for the rest of my life. Just pray that to him. I will live for you for the rest of my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to worship, and as we worship, this altar is going to be open. And here's the thing. I do believe that God wants to move today, and he wants to move in unexpected ways. And this altar will be open for you to come and to pray and to surrender to him. Our prayer team will be here. They'd love to meet with you in a way that says, you know what, let's partner in prayer for what's going on in your life. But we can also sit and we can we can be grateful today that God uses us, that God moves in us. And so as we worship, let's just let's make this a time of response. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, a minute, please come and just let one of our prayer team members know, hey, I just, I just prayed that prayer, gave my life to Jesus. So if you'd like to do that, we're here for you. Let's sing. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.